Do you enjoy listening to On the Ear but wish you could earn ASHA CEUs for it? Start today. SpeechTherapyPD.com has over 175 hours of audio courses on demand with an average of 19 new audio courses released each month. And here's the best part. Each episode earns you ASHA continuing ed credits. Oh, no, wait. This is the best part. As a listener of On the Ear, you can receive $20 off an annual subscription when you use code EAR21. Just head to SpeechTherapyPD.com to sign up and use code EAR21, E-A-R-2-1, for $20 off your annual subscription. You're listening to On The Ear, an audiology podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Dr. Dakota Sharp, AUDCCCA, audiologist, clinical professor, and lifelong learner. While I primarily work with pediatric cochlear implants and hearing aids, I am absolutely intrigued by the many areas of audiology and communication in general. This podcast aims to explore the science of hearing, balance, and communication with a variety of experts in hopes of equipping you to better serve your patients, colleagues, and students. So let's go. We are live and on the ear, brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. When the pandemic hit in early 2020, clinicians in all disciplines had to rethink their service delivery models. Audiologists who had never before considered telepractice scrambled to connect with their patients in this new way. And with some growing pains, we are certainly seeing that telepractice, at least in some form, is here to stay. One population that has been subtly overlooked during this transition is newborns. Babies in low-access areas with few audiologists have historically been more likely to fall through the cracks of care and the early hearing detection intervention system. But with COVID making access even more difficult, an unknown number of babies are not receiving adequate diagnostic and follow-up care. Today's guest is going to explain what we can do to improve the situation. Dr. Melanie Morris, AUD, is a pediatric audiologist who graduated from the University of Memphis with her AUD in 2015. She now works as a pediatric audiologist with Georgia's Mobile Audiology Program with a goal of improving access to audiological services across the state. Melanie's background has been in clinical audiology with the majority of her work experience being at a children's hospital. Melanie has a strong interest in providing and promoting services to underserved populations, as well as educating others about the need for early intervention. In an effort to improve access to audiological services, Melanie has started a roving tele-ABR program. Melanie was the first ever guest of On the Ear, and now she's our first ever returning guest. And just in the spirit of audiology, and as I'm sure she's going to point out when it comes to tele-ABRs, this is actually like our fourth attempt to record this due to technical difficulties. So I think she could speak to some technical difficulties in a tele-ABR sense. But hey, Melanie, thank you so much for joining me. It's great to be here and glad to see that things are working this time. So we always, <laughs> you know, just got to go with roll with the punches. Absolutely. So I I imagine that's a big part of working with tele-ABR is just in a world where Zoom and, you know, teleconferencing is everything like an ABR is not the place where you want your internet to be spotty or cut in and out or like you don't want any kind of tech issues when there's a baby who you're trying to keep asleep. And, oh, I cannot imagine the pressure has ever been higher. Yeah, there it's funny. And we'll we'll talk about it today. But yeah, there have been a lot of little glitches and not necessarily glitches, but just constant little hurdles trying to figure out like which software to use, which equipment to use, all these different things. So we have 
had plenty of errors <laughs> and hopefully <laughs> you guys can learn from some of not necessarily mistakes because nobody really, you know, has a, has a playbook for this, but um, hopefully I can share some of that knowledge. Absolutely. Okay. So before we get into the tele-ABRs then, in our last episode, you were sharing about how, you know, you're in Georgia. Georgia is a very large state area wise, right? And so you have your metropolitan areas where there's fairly good access to care. There's multiple options, but then you can drive in Georgia for like, what, five straight hours and still be in Georgia and nowhere near a metropolitan, you know, city or where, you know, there's access to care. So one of your goals when you started that mobile audiology program was you had this truck, it was all outfitted, it was ready to go. And then COVID hit. And then it was like, now what do we do? So I'm curious, since we last talked to you, it's been a little over a year now, what's been going on with the mobile audiology program? And what led y'all to transition into tele-ABR? So I'm really proud of our program because we really did just pivot. We were like, okay, we don't know what COVID is going to bring to like long lasting situation. And I'm really glad that we started looking into teleservices at the beginning of COVID because I don't think any of us imagined that we would still be here. And now we're like up and running with tele. So we're able to see a lot more patients than we were at the beginning of the pandemic. So we are still using our big old truck primarily for school age population. So we have contracted with a few different school districts. They just basically pay our travel funds um, or our travel fees. And then we can do their IEP, like their evaluations for IEP and various management um, there. And that's mostly my colleague who focuses on the educational audiology side. And then I was like, okay, I'm we're shut down. I can't drive and go see these babies. How are we going to fix this? And really, I think a lot of people are going to find this, but with COVID, like we were doing things in a very different way before. And now we're finding that use of technology is actually in some ways making things more efficient. And so we are just kind of riding that and maximizing the fact that now parents are used to Zoom. They're used to, yeah, yeah. you know, tele-appointments and we've had a lot of success with it. That's awesome. That That's a really good point too. I still feel like I'm one of those people who is a little bit hesitant to like take the plunge. I've done some trainings when it comes to hearing aid companies on like, here's some ways you could implement these things. And I'm like, well, you know, my patients, they wouldn't get how to do the video call while we do it, you know, that kind of thing. And so it's really encouraging that you're right. Everybody has had to transition to this, not just me and my professional and also personal space, just connecting with family through video calls. Everybody's doing that. So exactly. that's a really good reminder that it's not so foreign to, to everyone else who's not in, a, in the audiology world. I know. And I think it's just going to become more and more part of our, you know, daily routine. I know personally, I would prefer, I prefer virtual appointments so I don't have to take off work and do all these things. So I mean, I am lucky that I work for the state. So I'm seeing things from a much bigger lens. Like I used to work at a hospital where I just saw, you know, what happened within that hospital. But now that I work for the state, I'm seeing like how many babies we have missed in the state. And I'm like, I it does not make any sense for me to physically drive everywhere and see them because I can see only a portion of them that way, you know? So our goal is really to see a large, large quantity of babies. And I know most audiologists who probably see babies, like I prefer to be in person. I love to be with like my patient and have hands on and, you know, do all that. But when I'm seeing these numbers and I don't really know of another way to like like we have 2000 babies between 2019 and 2020 that have no reported diagnostic ABR. Stop. Oh my gosh. You know, like 
it's at this point, it's like, okay, it doesn't matter what I prefer. We just need to get out there and start seeing these kids. You got to do something. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Okay. So it sounds like you're, you know, starting to blend a little bit of the technology that we've all had to adapt into our lives into this mobile program, which I guess when you guys first started, that was probably never in the cards, right? Like, did you even see telepractice being a part of this mobile program? I don't think so. Maybe, you know, the people above me did. No, we, we really didn't. So, and we, I really, it's been great that we have the flexibility and we've had the support from Department of Education to help us like make this happen and see the need and and go for it. So our program now, so it's Georgia Mobile Audiology, but we kind of have like two wings of it. One is really the like Georgia Mobile, like truck services. And then the other one is the tele. So right now I'm only doing tele-infant testing, so tele-ABR, but we do have some plans to do some some other testing. So like behavioral testing and things like that, more of a triage at this point, like triaging, like figuring out, okay, for screenings and for these things, like do you have fluid? Do you have a conductive loss where you need to go see a medical professional before yeah, we, yeah. Have, you know, so we do have some kind of long-term goals. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. So it sounds like it, there's even room to expand that too. Yeah. Okay. So thinking of tele-ABR then, which if first you want to kind of like break down what that means, there might be people listening who have never even heard of this concept before. I, I know how to blend the words tele and ABR together, but there <laughs> might be people who don't even know what those two words individually are. Could you break that down and like, is this brand new? Like, are you at literally the forefront of people who have ever done this? Or is no. there a little bit to base it on? Like, how did we get to this point? So I actually think that there have been some people doing this for like, I mean, 20 years, 15 years, like uh, for a while, but very few. Like, it's not a very widespread thing. It's like these little pockets of states that that have been doing them. And then COVID is actually like, so in Cham. They got some funding from CARES Act, I believe, to try and bring audiologists together and learn and expand that knowledge and kind of create this like learning community. So NCHAM has was really helpful for me because then I could join these calls that actually talked about tele-ABR, hearing aids, like all sorts of things. And then they kind of we have a, an online resource library. And so everybody can put in, you know, different resources that they use to get it started. So that was definitely like, I was not starting totally from ground zero. So I would highly encourage anyone who is interested in any degree of teleservices to look at the NCHAM resource library. You can just Google it, but they do have a special, a special thing online that's, that was definitely helpful. But in Georgia, we do have, there was Department of Public Health did partner with Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, which is our like one pediatric hospital, like in the state to do tele. So they've been doing tele for about five years, but their model is slightly different. So they have one, one site, one audiologist in Atlanta And then they have one trained person down in South Georgia at a health department. And then they have a clinic once a month at that one site. Ours is a little bit different. We have the flexibility to travel. And so what I have done is we've created right now, I think we have about seven different clinics and we have our equipment and our equipment can travel from one clinic to the next clinic. So with the test assistant, they are able to move it to these different clinics within a region. And so it's not just in one specific spot. So I'm calling, I'm calling it a roving tele-ABR program because 
me as the audiologist, I stay stationary. I'm in Atlanta, but then I have a test assistant who has the portable equipment, which was really key portable equipment to have that flexibility to then move around. And then we hold standard clinics at like set dates. Wow. So I feel like I want to just jump. I like, I want to jump so far ahead into like, what's going on in a day, (laughs) but I guess like, okay, so, so that model, okay, help me out. And I know I've heard of like spoke and and wheel or, okay, spoke and hub. I know I've heard of that before. What are some of the, what, like, what are the models you could approach here? I guess you have kind of this roving idea where someone's jumping from clinic to clinic versus more like a fixed or could you break down like some of that lingo a little bit for us? Well, so most of the, I guess, models are tip for this are typically going to be spoken hub. And then so they would be like the hub. So they are kind of at the center of the wheel. And then you would have a spoke site. And that would be like you would be drawing imagine drawing a line from the center of a circle out. And so then those spoke sites are each of those outer sites. And so it's really just a matter of how many spoke sites are you going to add. And then the other thing is, is some people talk about synchronous versus asynchronous. At this point, I can't really imagine doing any of this asynchronous. So that would mean like somebody's running it and then the audiologist is evaluating it and like... Like interpreting waves? It. Yeah, interpreting it after. Oh my gosh, that would, yeah. I can't imagine that because so much of an ABR is like what you do in the moment to <laughs> reflect sure. what you're seeing. Oh my gosh. But I do wonder about asynchronous, like a screening, you know, or oh, sure, yeah. something like that. So in Georgia, we actually have kind of this unusual law that only audiologists and physicians can do OAEs over the age of three months. So that means anybody over the age of three months, like nobody can do OAEs. So I know we're actually trying to get that law changed just to open access. We have a lot of stipulations of like, we need a training module. You need to be Mm -hmm. able to, you know, there's no interpretation. It's pass fail. But that is one thing that I think could be done asynchronous is like somebody runs it and then an audiologist can evaluate, you know, the, the OAE responses, but I, I am not seeing any of that in ABR. So our model is a spoken hub model, but then we just kind of add this element of roving. So instead of our spoke site being stationary, which is like what exists in a lot of places. So it's like big equipment. It's, it's, there is a whole like video platform. It's everything is stationary. It's only in one place. We pick up our stuff and that test assistant drives from various places to do it. Gotcha. So I'm picturing like a moon traveling around a planet, I guess, because yeah, it's it's exactly not one right. fixed spoke. It's more like moving all over the place. Uh-huh. Cool, cool. Okay, so when it comes to what you what that looks like, so like physically when you are sitting down to test someone, um, or I guess I should say a baby, because probably most of them are children, maybe. Oh yeah. Um, so or I guess not even children, but like infants. Yeah, they're all infants. Yeah. What is happening? Like someone <laughs> is in a room, are they in the home of the baby? And then yeah. they've got like a computer. Like, could you break down <laughs> if you were gonna explain this to someone who has literally never heard of this concept, how would you explain what's going on? Okay. So the most important part of this is not the audiologist. It's like, where is the family and where is the test assistant? So they are together. The test assistant is going to be like the crucial piece of this because anyone who's done infant testing knows like you have to be a calm presence. There are things that you cannot put on a piece of paper that are like, this is what we need. You just need somebody that is confident with babies and like is calming, keeps the parent calm, can keep the baby quiet and asleep. So we have test assistant who's with the family, the caregiver and the baby. Our model is we have worked very closely with Department of Public Health. And so there are health departments 
in every single county. So what we've done is we've then contacted our, like we have district eddy coordinators, which not every state does, but we have 18 districts in our state divided up into 18 health districts. And each of those has an eddy coordinator, which is what I've learned is not common in a lot of states. So we have Mm. that kind of upper hand, but each of those eddy coordinators, they then help us find like a space in a health department that maybe is like two counties over. So what we've done is we've, we've looked at the data and we figured out, okay, which counties have like the highest no-show rate or, you know, is not getting diagnosed on time. And also where does our staff live? So like we have a coworker who lives down in South Georgia. So we started a clinic down in South Georgia, you know? Yeah. And then we just hired a test assistant or um, an audiology assistant who lives in central Georgia. So now we're kind of creating those clinics around there. So anyway, I digress. But what it looks like is either in a health department. So we, the Eddie coordinators helped us get a space or a room and all we need, whenever they ask, like, what do you need? I'm like, I just need like, it can be a closet, but I need two chairs. I need an outlet and I need internet and that's it. And so we've done health departments and in some cases, some of the health departments won't let us in because we're Department of Ed, not Department of Public Health. It kind of just... Oh, my gosh. I know. Oh, my gosh. It's It's like an episode of Parks and Rec. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So, (laughs) exactly. Yes. Like, two on point. So, we have partnered with the libraries, which if you think of a library, it's like... That's awesome. This makes perfect sense. It's awesome. One, it's quiet, which then I'm like, okay, make sure it's okay if a baby's screaming in your library. (laughs) We need, like, (laughs) somewhere in the corner. They have internet. And it's all about literacy. So, that's like ultimately our goal and it you know aligns. So we have chosen health department and library because they are like public service entities. They have bathrooms. They they're mostly they're mostly pretty open to us coming in. So the test assistant will meet the family at the health department or the library for instance and they'll have all of our equipment and they'll have everything set up and then they will join on a Zoom. So we do use Zoom, but there are different HIPAA compliant options. I'll be in Atlanta. So the audiologist will be at wherever, like at their home or whatever on camera. I'll introduce myself. We'll kind of explain how this appointment's going to look. I mean, everything that you would say for a normal in-person appointment, like what to expect and how long it's going to take and and those different things. But one of the best things is that these families have driven five or 10 minutes. Yeah. Baby didn't fall asleep on the car ride. Yeah. Parents are already, they are not stressed out because they didn't just have to like sit in a car with a screaming kid for an hour, you know? Yeah. And it's their, it's their community. I don't know. So it just, it it has been a much more pleasant (laughs) environment and experience. So that's really interesting. Yeah, it really is. And we've had a very, like, I think our no-show rate is like 2% or something Oh crazy. my gosh, on non-sedates. That is yeah. crazy. That's probably the best ever. Like <laughs> you really can't beat 2%. No. Oh and my so gosh. They, you know, all have the camera. I make sure that they can see me at the beginning of the appointment. Um, we do have an external camera because I wanted, like, because we were using the one in the laptop and I'm like, I need to see this baby the whole time while I'm testing. Because otherwise, like, I don't know. We audiologists falls off. Yes. Insert like, falls out. Yeah. <laughs> we need a little bit of control. So we have an external camera and it's just kind of pointing towards the baby. Sometimes I, you know, if I'm like, okay, I'm not getting a response where I think I need a response, I'll ask the test assistant to like take a picture of the insert in the ear or do something so I can like really check that everything is like good. But anyway, okay, so then I start the testing. 
And then the test assistant is crucial during the appointment as well, because they've been trained on, okay, the electrodes are popping off. Like, when do you need to put it back on? Or, oh, the insert's falling out. We need to trim it, all of that. So we have a very comprehensive training program that we actually developed as well. And it's a free resource and I'll share it with you so that you can share it with Oh my others. gosh. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's actually, it's online. So anyway, that was really nice to get everything in one place. So, so the, I'm assuming before we go into the testing, yeah. I'm assuming, so the test assist is doing, you know, the prep, they're scrubbing they're doing, yep. and then like, do they feel like confident enough they can check impedances and then they know how to troubleshoot, you know, when inevitably when like one is really high, but also you scrubbed that one and then it's still, you know what I mean? Like you just run into the circle of oh yeah, non-sedates are cursed, right? Like yeah. you just can't not run into this kind of weird stuff at least once a month with these things, 100%. at least in my experience. No, totally. And it's like, it, everyone knows it can be very stressful. So one thing is, is I feel pretty strongly about having a very small pocket of test assistants. So these yeah. need to be like almost their entire job is they are prepping that this is what they are doing so that they are confident. They are used to this. They are not just doing it once a month. They are doing it like six times a week at the minimum, you know, yeah, definitely yeah. they feel confident with that. I do check the impedances cause I just can. So I remote in. So once we get set up, I talked to the family. I then take over, they share their screen. I take over remote control. I pull up the equipment. I tell them whether we're going to start with temps or OAEs or ABR. Cause it's all like every audiologist has their own preference. And also yeah. like some babies come in completely asleep and I'm like, well, let's just go straight for the ABR, you know, various yeah. things like that. So it's very much a, it's a lot of communication back and forth between the audiologist and the test assistant. And you have to like, you have to call things out like, okay, he failed the left ear. So we are going to start with the left ear, like very clear conversation of which side. So it's very much the audiologist is the one who has to kind of lead that. And then the impedance thing. Yep. <laughs> we we actually just, <laughs> we just had a major issue with, we had all these really high impedances and I'm like, what is happening? Like I just used this equipment, I like virtually, but and it ended up being, we just got a bad batch of electrodes. Oh, I, no. I know. It was really devastating. But I actually, I have the flexibility that if I have a really weird case, then like I can go travel and I can go see that kid. So that's what I did. I was, I saw three babies on a Monday via tele. All the impedances were so high. It was like acting really crazy. And so I was like, I'm just going to, I, I don't want to waste these families' time. Like, I'm just going to go there. So I drove there on the Thursday, and then I saw them all in person. And then we discovered, okay, it's an electrode issue. So, yeah, it can be – that was my first time that we actually had a lot of technical issues. Prior to that, things were running so smoothly. And I was nice. like, oh, it's about to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were overdue for it, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, and then – so once I do the testing, then I typically will pull up, like, within NOAA or within our, like, specific electronic medical records, I'll pull up, like, I'll plot the audiogram on there and show them and kind of show them where the speech spectrum is. But then also the test assistant will have, a like, the speech spectrum or the, the audiogram, familiar sounds audiogram, and she will then plot exactly, like, what I have written on the screen just so the family can also see it in person. And then they get a full report and everything. But yeah, that's, it's been better than I thought it would. I thought it would feel a little bit just like not personal, but like, it's not, it's been, it's been really good. 
Okay. So another one variable that, you know, all these things pop up and you're like, oh, I didn't think about that. Our interpreting service that we use is an on-demand interpreting service. So it's like video and phone for just our prior to tele-ABR. So I just assumed like, okay, well, they can just call into the Zoom. (laughs) But luckily I like thought ahead and I was like, let me just like have a fake Zoom. I had like my husband in a Zoom room. We called an interpreter, asked them to get in the room. And they were like, no, we can't do that. You have to have this different service where you can, like we get the link beforehand, we call in. So we had to like redo our contract with the interpreting company. Yeah. So just make sure that you have the ability, the accessibility for interpreting. Because I mean, it's a legal thing that you need to be able to provide. So we now can schedule it in advance. We send them the link to the room and then they join. And we had this one time we had, okay, I was in Atlanta. We had the family and the test assistant in Valdosta, which is like South Georgia, like almost to Florida. And then we had a Spanish interpreter from who was in Argentina. So it's just like, it was so fun. It was really cool. Yeah. So definitely think about interpreter and how you're going to do that and like what your your system looks like. And then the other thing was counseling. Like I do think there are some things I want to iron out on how do I effectively counsel virtually. So that's that's something that's I'm still like working out. Maybe maybe I missed this, but did you say how you're communicating with the test assist in the moment? Like do they have <laughs> headphones in and you're on a Zoom call or like how are they hearing you? No, so they... <sighs> We've tried this a couple different ways. Like sometimes, so mostly it's just like, I will mute myself when I'm testing and then I'll unmute myself when I like want to ask a question. But I will mostly, it's just like parents will hear us. We're just talking. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that's the best way because tele, a tele-appointment is supposed to be nothing really different. And they're not supposed to miss out on anything that they would be getting in person. So like, it feels a little bit odd to like, be like secretly talking to them. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I do I get what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. But then it's like, okay, if a baby's really like sensitive to like going to wake up or things like that, we still, we have our cell phones. So I mentioned that, you know, the insert, like, I'm like, okay, this is not totally normal, but like they had normal OAEs. Like, let me see a picture of how far you put that insert in, <laughs> you know, so we'll do that sort of thing. Or I'll, I'll give a warning, like, hey, I'm going to get bone conduction ready and I'm going to want to do it on the left side. So via text, but also just kind of open in the the Zoom. Wow, this sounds amazing because the most stressful part of doing an ABR is all of that like in the moment. Oh, is the electrode right? Is the insert in? Like uh, the, uh, the little dance where you go back and forth. The easy <laughs> part's just running the waves, you know, and like looking at that. <laughs> so, oh my always, gosh, that does sound nice. I always tell them that they have the hardest job. So, and... I can tell real briefly. So we have, I'm like very organized and <laughs> maybe too, too organized, but I created this like training guide or competency thing. So there's, we have an online, we partnered with a foundation called Access to Language and they actually helped build this online training curriculum for newborn hearing screening. So just doing that, like, so it would be for the technician or the nurse in the hospital or whoever, and then also a teleaudiology clinical training program. So there is this like 90 minute thing that they go in online and they learn all about OAEs, all about the equipment, everything. And then the training plan, what we do is we actually used a really busy health department site in Atlanta to be our training site because we, there was an audiologist going to be there. I could meet there. And we just had, I actually trained three people at the same time. They all came there. 
we saw babies like all day long. This clinic is so busy and it's a very unique clinic in that if a baby fails the screening, they move straight into a diagnostic. So we mostly just like, we just went straight into diagnostic at the screening, like just to kind of have this practice sure. with these test assistants. So I have this like whole training guide. So basically they observe me or the audiologist while I do three different patients. They practice on each other. Then I observe them prepping. And then the final step, it's like I'm slowly removing myself. The final step is I'm just like in another room or on another floor. And but I'm in the building and we run it for like a whole day of clinic of them prepping and doing it as if I wasn't there. And then ultimately I'm not there. <laughs> so wow. Wow. That's that's really cool. I think that's, it just sounds, okay. I think your organization skills have really worked for you here because that sounds like a great way to approach it. And I think if it were me and I had no experience with any of this, that'd be a really comfortable way to kind of progress through all of those skills. That's, that's great. Yeah, for sure. And I do think having the person, the audiologist who is going to be working with the test assistant or the audiology assistant, just having a good I was lucky that I was involved in the training. Like I did the training, but I do think to build that relationship, it would be important for the audiologist who is going to oh, be. Oh yeah. To have like trust yeah. that they're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, was this like an open job thing? Like are these people who were already in an audiology assistant role? <laughs> like how do you find someone who has to learn? Yeah. Like, Cause they kind of have to understand what an ABR is on a deeper level and impedances and things yeah. like that. So how do you find this person? So it's so interesting. And one of these talks that I went to with NGM, it was like a bunch of different, like North Dakota, I think is doing this as well. And I forget a couple of the other states, but everyone was kind of talking about how they chose their test assistants. And one chose like a DHH teacher. Like it was like somebody who was very well versed in like deaf and hard of hearing, like lingo, everything. And then another one chose a, I think she actually was a nurse. So she like had the medical background. Yeah. Yeah. And so she is like super comfortable with like, you know, scrubbing and putting things in the ears. And then ours is funny because we kind of have both. So we have a deaf and hard of hearing teacher because she's our on our staff as a family engagement specialist. So she does a lot of family education. And this is just, we've now like thrown a tele-ABR at her basically. So, <laughs> and now she does this one day a week, but she is a deaf and hard of hearing teacher. So like she has that background. And then we hired an audiology assistant So we got really lucky in that she is an audiology assistant. She has never done infant testing at like an ENT clinic that she used to work at, but she's very well versed in audiology. Those are the two people on our team. And then I have trained within the Department of Public Health, a couple eddy coordinators because they're doing it with Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. And I've just like offered to do the training. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag. I don't think there's one right or wrong answer, but it definitely... I mean, this is an interesting topic and hopefully, you know, I don't get sued over this, but um, we kind of needed a female because there are a lot of women who are breastfeeding and like, and actually Dakota, you may have some insight on that. I'm curious, like if that impacts, (laughs) I know, sorry. (laughs) No, it's something I have to consider all the time. I mean, as a dad, you know, who's gone through breastfeeding with two children, not the person who did the breastfeeding, but you know, was in that world. Like, I feel like I have to delicately walk a line of like professionalism but I mean there are plenty of pediatricians who are males and lactation consultants and so I try not to I try to be very mindful and respectful of whatever a mom would prefer by saying like 
usually my question is, do they normally feed before they go to sleep? And if they say yes, I'll say, if you're breastfeeding, I'm happy to step out or I'll, okay. you know, I can step over here to the side. Like I give them that space to decide yeah. what they want me to do there. But yeah, I definitely have to walk that line pretty regularly with my, with my non-sedates. So <laughs> Yeah, I totally, I totally get what you mean. Like you have to have somebody who can be flexible in that moment. And I see a, a female being much better. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe it doesn't need to be a female, but it needs to be somebody who, who has that ability to like make, tact, right? Yeah, yeah, that tact. Yeah, and like, yeah. it still is like, even as me being a female, like asking, I give parents the mother option, of course, like whether they want to feed before or whether they are comfortable, but like many times they're like, go ahead and just do it. So I'm like in there, <laughs> like like getting the baby prepped while they're eating. So anyway, yeah, yeah. it just was an interesting thing where we were like, what sort of, how do we even like advertise? Like we need somebody who is comfortable, who's going to make a parent comfortable. You know, it's just, it's a hard role to that's fill. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Hadn't yeah. considered that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that's a, that's a really interesting breakdown. I do see how all of those roads lead. To, it's not like they're like, they're a high school student who was interested in audiology <laughs> and it's like, whoa, okay. Like that's kind of a lot for you to take on. But all these people kind of have a background in this world, at least a little bit. So I, I see the connections there. I think that's really cool. Okay. Circling back around then to the Wi-Fi, because mm -hmm. that might be as someone who like, I consider myself to be really tech savvy still like internet connections make me so nervous. Where, no matter where I am, I'm like, I don't want to do anything that totally relies on an internet connection because you never know, like it'll just drop out or like somebody else starts using it and it slows or, you know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. So I'm curious what your experience has been from just like an internet connectivity standpoint yeah. and what you guys are doing to troubleshoot or what you're hoping to do in the future about it. So yes, when I started this, I was like, well, I got to have like a hotspot as a backup. Like I need to have all these different things. It's actually, well, knock on wood, it has not been as challenging as I thought it would be. So one of the things we are in a lot of rural communities, but since we are going to a library or a health department, like we're not going to somebody's house. Like I think that in itself builds in some structure and like they have internet yeah, there. Yeah. And at first I was thinking all Wi-Fi, And then I'm like, wait, ethernet cord. So we have an ethernet cord. So we just connect it directly to the wall. Well, there you go. Yeah. And so then it's not an issue like at all. <laughs> so That's awesome. Yeah. Ethernet. And then I, I did get a hotspot for like, I did like cricket where I could like pay for like one month just so I could like figure out like, do we need this as a backup? And really, I mean, it kind of worked the same as my hotspot on my phone, which I have unlimited data like through work. So in really like, I think one time we had to change rooms and they didn't have an ethernet port. So we were actually hotspotting off of the test assistant's phone. And it was, it was not like, I always run a speed test. So that is another thing. So every time we're about to like set up a clinic location, we physically go there. We check the Wi-Fi. We also check the ethernet speed. So then, and then we Google speed test, internet speed test. And it tells us if it's sufficient or not. But in this one case, she had to, they had like a last minute meeting or something in the room that we always use. So she had to go to another room. There was no, no ethernet port. And so she was hotspotting on her phone. And I was like, we have to turn our videos off. Like I just, I have to like, <laughs> in order to get the ABR. So we turned our videos off to help the speed. And so I was able to control her screen and get the whole ABR. And then we FaceTimed after that. So it was not ideal, but we just got creative. But that's ethernet <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a very safe bet to use that for sure. <laughs> yeah. But it does sound like you guys have some flexibility should you need it, which is, which Correct. is awesome. Yeah. Okay. So you 
go through the ABR, you fix, you know, you get through the troubleshooting, you get through the hard stuff, you've got your results. Can you break down like, because honestly, I would say like I do, you know, non-sedated ABRs pretty regularly, at least once a week. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those conversations are not easy, Mm -hmm. especially if you're diagnosing hearing loss for a first time and it's unexpected. So could you tell me a little bit, I know you said that's one of the things you're working on is kind of that counseling via tele-ABR, but what have those conversations been looking like for you? Okay. So, I mean, the counseling looks very similar to in-person counseling. We are going to be doing like a qualitative, like, like asking parent, like surveys of like, okay, what's, what was your experience like? You know, so some of this, I can't really answer. Like I can tell you what we're doing. I can't tell you that like parents feel one way or the other about it. So I do think that's going to be some valuable information and we definitely plan to do that. But our program is also really, really lucky and very special because the, the like family engagement specialist and the test assistant that we have, oh yeah, we yeah. do a lot of training on just talking with the families about the next step. So it's parent navigation. That's like what we do. So it's like, I make this diagnosis. I don't live anywhere near this family. We, we do not do the hearing aids. So we then that test assistant or that parent navigator or the family education specialist, they then are called, like they work with this family for a long time to figure out, okay, we need to help you get a script and go here. We need to get you into ENT. So it's not just a one-off thing. And our, they have our work cell phone numbers so they can text us, they can call us. So we are very unique in that, in that aspect where it's really like, we will give the information, we will give it all, but that's not the only conversation we have with them. We have a lot of follow-up. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. That's really cool. And I didn't realize you guys weren't also doing like follow-up. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Like how could you provide follow-up care for every kid, you know, around the state who ends up diagnosed with a hearing loss? Have you had, have you had any like really positive or maybe not so positive experiences, you know, through tele-ABR when you've had to give a diagnosis or anything like that? So I had a really challenging one last week. Okay. So (laughs) this brings up the other thing. I mentioned the model of that one, like it's Fulton County Health Department. It's in Atlanta, that one health department that's really busy. And the model that they use is like, and this is all in-person ABR, but they do a screening and they move straight into a diagnostic. That might be common in a lot of places, but that's not common anywhere that I've worked, but it is so incredibly helpful. Like I just, it prevents a a next appointment for this family. So that is our long-term goal is to have my, like, you know, the test assistant or the, both the test assistants do screenings. And then, okay, if a baby fails or refers, they then call the on-call audiologist. And then I sign in and I do a diagnostic. So we prevent the family from having to come back. So we are working through, cause that sounds like just such a magical, <laughs> magical plan. Like, but then it's like, how is that actually going to work? So I'm sure. figuring some of that out right now. So I had a patient, we had two diagnostics on the schedule the Eddie coordinator was doing a screening next door. So we had all these things going on and that baby failed. And so she's like, could y'all just squeeze them in? Cause I finished early. So we squeezed them in and I started a diagnostic, you know, but it's like, okay, I've got like 40 minutes and we're doing this via tele. So like, I knew I wasn't going to get the whole thing, but it was like, okay, can I at least tell you that your child has like some hearing or okay, it's sensory, you know, various things. So I was able to provide some information. Like I knew, okay, I've ruled out neuropathy. I see a beautiful one, three, five, but then like, I, there's like, I was thinking it was like mild to moderate hearing loss, but the dad was like, I mean, he was crying. It was really, 
And it was, I couldn't even really tell that he was crying because it like with the camera and with the sound, like, yeah, yeah, it, it really, my, the test assist, I mean, it was mostly on her. Like she was, she called me after and she like, she was like, after we hung up with you, we talked for like another 45 minutes. So like you really, that was, that was a challenge. And then I brought them back and he was like really totally fine the next time. And, you know, the child ended up having mild hearing loss and just in one ear. So it's, it's a little bit complex and it is, it, this really just shows how important that test assistant or audiology assistant, whatever you want to call them is because mm-hmm. anyone who's going to be talking with the family, you want to make sure it's consistent messaging and that they are saying the right thing and that they yeah. have the ability to say, oh, I don't know how to answer that. Let me call the audiologist. So that is, I guess that was a challenge. I think we're going to learn a lot more, a lot more as yeah. we as we grow this. So. Yeah, I th- thank you for sharing that. I know that sounds like a really difficult one to navigate, but I think it's a it's a really helpful reminder of like, I mean, I I think of some of the conversations I have some family who are you know they work in hospitals, one who's a nurse who's worked with COVID patients, and they do like you know family phone calls for someone who's has COVID in the hospital and, you know, they're on their last breath and having those difficult conversations through FaceTime is like, it's a whole humans are, we're just not used to that being our primary mode of like extremely emotional, deep conversation, you know, but I think as our world is more connected and more digital, like eventually that's not going to be that strange. But right now I can't, I can't imagine like, that's a difficult way to have a conversation like that. Well, and then, and that brings up, like, I wonder this is why we plan to survey the parents of like, I wonder, is it harder for the provider? Like, do we just assume that that patient is having a different and worse experience or is it, you know, it's because like, I know like therapy is done on, on virtual like capacity. And it's like, I think that's like pretty good. So I'm I'm just curious, like, so I will report back to see, and it's hard to really qualify like, was it better or worse? Cause they've only had this one experience, but I know sure. for a fact, like these families that I am seeing, they knew that the closest place they could go was going to be four hours away. So like they are so appreciative uh, or even a two month wait list or something, you know? So everybody's wow, yeah. incredibly su- like appreciative of just the service. So I, I don't know. And I feel like that makes a huge difference. Like I am not doing tele-ABR if that family is 30 minutes away from my house. I'm going to go in person and do that testing. So it's really just the, I don't know. So I think some of these families are just so appreciative that they get the service that I don't necessarily think that that's a good point. The the whole conversation starts like differently. Like when I have somebody who's driven three hours and they're exasperated and they're tired and then we get through this and it was already an emotional day. Mm -hmm. And then that's even more emotional. That's very different than someone who comes in already like grateful. And they're like, you know what I mean? Like the whole attitude of the appointment is probably really different. So I I, I see what you're saying there. Yeah. So I, I kind of think that that, that plays out a lot longer or has a lot more value than we may realize. Yeah. That's that's really cool. So I know you said you you all aren't providing the follow-up hearing aids or cochlear mm-hmm. implants or if the family is going with ASL, like I don't think you guys are teaching that. So Correct. I'm curious how that follow-up works. I know, I think this is such a cool, I don't know if this was a coincidence or if this was a part of the plan, but one of the first things that you did that I have since been trying to do where I am, <laughs> one of the first things you did was create this like amazing map of like almost every practice in the state, but especially those that see pediatrics. And so I guess you can kind of use that information for your referrals. Are you finding that like in these, by the way, is there, is there a term that we use like a, 
a little piece of lingo for like a an area that has very like little access to healthcare. I think I've heard a term for it before. Not like a um, healthcare well, desert. I've heard of like food well, deserts where I people know. don't have access to food. But do we have that for healthcare? Do we have a word? There probably is. I know we call it the zip code lottery, which shows like all mm. throughout the health system of like your outcomes are going to be much higher if you live in this sort of zip code. Like if you're in a metro, you know, that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm Googling sure. it and it looks like it's called a medical or a care desert. So okay. medical deserts or care desert. So yeah. it's the same idea, but like I'm, I'm assuming that there might not be people who do pediatric hearing aids in that oh, town yeah. either, yeah. but maybe they don't have to drive four hours. I, exactly. I'm not sure. So that was one of the first things we did. And so we get to know, <laughs> this is like, so like, it's just, it's, it's way, it's very intricate. So like we went around right when we started this program and we met with like all these providers all over the state and we like got to know them and like, I have this network where anybody who sees kids is like joined on this network or has the invitation to join. So I, so what we've done, like for instance, the last, I've diagnosed a few kids in the last like week. So we then figure out, okay, we'll send everything to the pediatrician. A lot of this also relies on the pediatrician. Like it kind of goes back to them. Some of them have preferences on ENTs that they want them to go see. So our parent navigator will then work with the family on like calling the pediatrician to get the script that then they can go see ENT. So we typically, if it's not a super complex case, like, I don't know, we will just like, okay, there's an ENT that's close by and we've created this relationship with different pockets of the state. And so now we're like, oh, okay, great. They like have a really smooth process on getting kids in and they don't have a weight, you know, that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. So we then get them into ENT and then I will call the audiologist who's nearby if I've never spoken with them or met them and just talk with them about like, what ages do you see? But that's, that's also on our map. So I created this Google map that's on our website, which we can share, but I went through and it tells us basically, do you take Medicaid? Do you take these CMOs? What insurance do you take? What ages do you do hearing aids? Like everything. So yeah. And then if a family does want to go to Atlanta, like that's an option too. And we help figure out how to get there. So we're, we're not telling them where they have to go, but we do, largely we we point them in the direction of like a community somebody who's near their community so if it's an hour away versus like five hours away you know yeah yeah that's that's great and i think that 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 makes sense for your program to i mean I, I, it's kind of mind-blowing to me that you guys do stick with them through all of that i'm i'm glad to hear it like it's definitely for the best but it's so cool that, that it's happening. Cause I would expect, you know, yeah. well, we give them the diagnosis. We say, here's your, you know, local resources and we're out of here. I also can't get over the fact that you guys are the mobile audiology program, but the acronym spells map. Right. And that was like one of the first <laughs> things you did, right. Is there, is that a coincidence? I don't know. I don't okay. Know. So it like, wasn't really a coincidence. And then we like branded everything, like made an email that was like map. <laughs> and then we found out that there's another program in department of ed that's map and we're not allowed to use maps. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's so funny. So now we're GMA, like grandma, like Georgia Mobile Audio. <laughs> um, yeah. That's so but, funny. Yeah, no, we feel we, our program, like half of our team, they're not audiologists. They're like parent navigators. They have this expertise and like one of them was a deaf and hard of hearing teacher for 17 years. We find that there is a, so much value in helping the family get from point A to point B because in C and D and E and F, you know, like our yeah. system is very much set up to be like provider hands it to the next provider, to the next provider. And we're just like, kind of 
like the family, there's nothing really consistent, at least in our area. So that, and it really, it saves the audiologist time. And then the audiologist can spend more time testing and doing what they're like, their expertise is in. So I used to do a lot of case management when I worked at the hospital and now I don't, I don't do that. And sometimes I kind of miss it, but then I'm like, no, I need to get, be seeing these babies because I can see them, you know, I can yeah, do the testing. Yeah. So yeah, we, we, we value and we, we really need our parent navigators. Wow. It's a huge piece. Wow. I've, I just love the infrastructure that y'all have set up for your program. I think it's a really great model and I know y'all are still learning it and you've picked it up from some other people too, but I just, I think the work y'all are doing is really, really cool. <laughs> we appreciate it. <laughs> okay. So if there is someone in a state where they notice, you know, a medical desert or a care desert and they are interested in establishing something like this, I know you guys are doing it through a state-based agency, but mm-hmm. I mean, do you think that's required to set up the infrastructure for this or could someone start small? Like, how do you see, I know you've invited some people in to learn more about this, me being one of those people who's just <laughs> interested, like, I don't know if I can actually do this, but this is interesting yeah. to me. What does it take to like get started with this? No. So I definitely think figuring out So I honestly, I think most states could probably benefit from this. Like there is a lack of access to diagnostic ABRs all over the country. So one thing would be like, okay, where does the audiologist work? Because that's going to be, that's going to determine the billing. So if they work for a hospital, like just talking with their hospital or, or if they work for public health or whatever, like figuring out, okay, what are the bounds of billing? Cause I know all of this like is going to come down to billing in many cases or just get a grant. Cause that's what we're doing. And then we don't have to bill, but that's a separate, um, separate topic. But so just looking at that and then figuring out, okay, what infrastructure already exists. So I would highly recommend talking with your state's eddy program and figuring out like, okay, because what if they're also applying for like a HRSA grant for this or something, you know, so making sure and just letting them know that you're interested in it because they, they need the audiologist and you need, you know, somebody like a site, a health department or a library to refer the babies. Yeah, exactly. So and then a lot of health departments are, have tele like telemedicine programs and have the equipment in the health department. I know Georgia has a lot of it. Like we have genetics, we have all these different things in various health departments that I never knew anything about. So I would I would start by figuring out okay where do you as the audiologist work and like what bounds are you under um, in terms of like billing for the hospital and that sort of thing. And then court I would work with the Eddie coordinator or the state just to see, start there and the health departments. Cause that just there, it makes sense. It's like, okay, this is a health, a health aspect. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it impacts the whole state when we catch these babies early and we Absolutely. follow any guidelines. Yeah. I, I see how that, that could definitely work to an advantage in that way. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's really great advice in terms of we'll call them instead of mistakes, as you mentioned before, we'll call them learning opportunities. (laughs) What do you feel like is some pretty critical advice you would give to someone who is in those early stages of starting a program like this? Give yourself some time. So give yourself the startup time. Like do not immediately start scheduling patients that like actually need a diagnostic ABR. So like (laughs) bring in your kids, your friends, kids, like bring in like babies that it's like, no, like it's not super high stakes or do what we did where we 
brought it, like we just did, we did the practice and the setup on babies that just needed the rescreen. Cause then you can see tons of babies and you're like, you haven't wasted an appointment, like in case they don't pass or something. Like, it's not like if your mistake is going to then change the trajectory of like them meeting these one, three, six. So just give yourself time. I think as audiologists, we like to just get everything right the first time and we like to be productive <laughs> and we like to like, you know, move fast. And I know I do. So just giving yourself that freedom a little bit to make some not errors, learning, <laughs> make some, yeah, some yeah. opportunities for learning. And then just also look at the NCHAM stuff and figure out like, is anyone even doing this in your state? Cause maybe they are and you just don't know about it. And if they are, then see about coordinating with them rather than starting something new. I am all about working together rather than, you know, all in these different silos. So I mentioned that department of public health has had been doing this with children's healthcare of Atlanta. And so I like very much have been working with both of them. And then I ended up doing the training program for department of health, public health, who's going to be working with CHOA. So like, I don't want to have two separate tele programs. Like I want it all to be working together so that. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So those would be, those would be my recommendations. That's great. I think the the idea of slowing down is yeah. you're right, kind of hard for many audiologists, but mm-hmm. in a situation like this, like you definitely want to have it all worked out ahead of time. You don't want to yeah. figure this out on the fly when the baby's sleeping, like nope. No. And, like, <laughs> and just like just you want that test assistant to see tons of babies. And you know how mm. we all like it was really nice when I was starting to learn ABRs and seeing a bunch of normals. You know what I mean? Like you see a bunch of normal hearing, so then you know if something's abnormal, so or atypical. So I would I think the same kind of concept goes for goes for this. Yeah, that's a that's a great reminder for that. In this process, have there been any professionals you've worked with or collaborated with that have surprised you? Like, did you establish some close connections with some pediatricians or state agency people? Like, you know what I'm saying here? Like, have any professionals you wouldn't expect have been a big part of this process for you? Nothing too, like, intriguing. I mean, the libraries, that was definitely an interesting one where I was like... That is a good one. That makes sense. Okay. And like, they're just... Ever, they're just it's so kind and it's like I don't know if anyone's <laughs> been into a library recently it's just like feel good vibes you know <laughs> like yep, yep. really just lovely and then I mean nurses through the health department so that's been and also the health department's awesome like they've got otoscopes there they've got like sanitary they have everything that you really like would need it's it just that also makes perfect sense but no nothing I guess that's kind of surprising to me too I've, I I think I picture a health department building as like very administrative like the people who work at the health department you know what I mean like the people mm-hmm. who are writing papers yeah. and things but no like there's a there's clinic in there clinics. Yeah. yeah it's all patient care yeah. That's really, really interesting to me. So that's a really cool, that's, I, I, just that those two places have been able to meet your needs is really, really mm-hmm. interesting to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when it comes to that journey for families after diagnosis, mm-hmm. how far into that are you still with them? It sounds like you're at least getting them set up with their follow-up care. But I mean, I know, I know your program is in the beginning stages of some data, but I know like that's ultimately where it came from is this understanding of literacy and literacy impacts. So are you following these babies? Because now, you know, you know, the date they were diagnosed and the date they were fit. And like, you Mm -hmm. can kind of track all of those data points to the point where, you know, I think you remind me, but was it third grade literacy? That was the big marker. Yeah. Yep. 
yeah, our milestones in Georgia, it basically measures the third grade literacy. So, so that's like seven years of tracking a kid, yeah. right? And you've only been doing this for less than a year, I guess, well, right? Or about a year? Yeah, about a year. Uh, oh, man. Um, for we These years don't count I anymore don't yet. Know, yeah, <laughs> I think it's been like, honestly, six months of like, actually like fully up and running tele. Like prior to that, it was training and doing all of that. Gotcha. So we, so our program is birth to 21. So we do the whole span. but as far as tracking, really the state has a system to track. And so most states do. And that's one thing that I want to make sure I make a point to like, get to know what your state's notification, like notifiable situation is. Like, do you have an online system that you go in and you enter when a baby fails or passes or gets diagnosed with hearing loss and understand like what happens with that information. So for Georgia, they're tracking all of that. So we, if a child gets diagnosed with hearing loss, then they get a specific like ID number, a Georgia test identification number. And so then they are going to be able to look at that data at third grade to figure out which kids had hearing loss and what were their literacy scores versus which. Oh, kids. interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So we are doing some data tracking, but like mostly it's, it, we, uh, we put everything into our state system. We upload everything. Like yeah, what we are looking at more on our side is is more of the like, okay, how many kids did we see? Where did they live? Like figuring out like, okay, how many kids were getting diagnosed before we were in here and that sort of thing. But our parent navigator, they have a set schedule of how often they reach out to the family. So like we get the kids. So our state system also is how we alert early intervention services. So when I go in and I enter a diagnosis, then it automatically generates referrals to our early intervention programs, which is really awesome. And I understand that's not the case in every state. So at that point, we're like, okay, like this child is in early intervention, but we make sure the family knows like they can contact us at any point. Like if the kid's going to school and now that now they have a bunch of questions or the kid starts crawling and they're like, oh shoot, what do I do now? You know, <laughs> so they can contact us, but our parent navigator does just like, we'll send a text, you know, three months out, six months out just to check in. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So it sounds like you aren't doing all the data management, but you do nope. have like a program in place to, you know, at least that in those early stages yeah. through those. Yeah. That consistent communication. That's great. Yeah. All right. So we're just about at the end of our time. I was curious if there was either one experience in doing these tele-ABRs that's really going to stick with you that was either really positive or whatever, or if you just had one thing, if like there was someone out there who's like, I think I'm interested in this, but it sounds like it's too much to chew. I'll let you pick which of those you want to leave us with. Oh, man. I So I'll go with the second one. It does seem like a lot it, and it it is a lot, but, but I would say, I mean, truly like having this perspective from the state side of things. So like getting to know your state agencies and like, who are these people who are, are at the state level that would have some say in this? I would start there because once you figure out like, okay, is there truly a huge need? Like, what does our state's data look like? Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, we have 2000 babies. Like, okay, this is a lot to chew, but like, <laughs> we got to figure this out. You know, so it is a, it's a collaborative effort for sure. And so I would really encourage you to look at um, your state agencies and and collaborate with them so that you're not just doing something on your own. That would be my biggest yeah, that's that's great advice. That's great advice. I think people who, uh, I mean, if you work in the pediatrics world, you have to have like some connection, but you might not really know the people you're 
emailing in our state you have to rely on them for like non-medicaid hearing aids and like the newborn hearing screening programs but like at the same time they might be just a faceless entity that you're faxing records to you know what i mean and looking for auths so i I think that's really great advice for even if you're not interested in this kind of a program just to have a better connection with those people who like at the end of the day like whether that baby is hitting the one, three, six markers or not, like they're kind of the ones keeping track of all that. So it's good to know who those people are. I totally agree. Yeah. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, Melanie, having you back, our first ever return guest. I'm so grateful that you agreed, even though this was our fourth attempt to do this, we got through it. We did it. (laughs) If people wanted to reach out to you, if they had specific questions or wanted to see more of these resources, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Let me give you email address, but I also want to give you our website because it has the training program module on there that's like free and it has a bunch of like printouts that you can laminate if you're type A like me um, and put on your test assistance equipment. So our website is www.ga, as in Georgia, mobileaudiology.org. And then my work email is melanie, M-E-L-A-N-I-E dot Carter, C-A-R-T-E-R at DOE, as in Department of Education, dot K-12 dot G-A dot U-S. And if anyone is really interested in this and wants to live in Georgia, email me because we just applied for a very large grant and we are we're going to get this and expand it like a lot more. So yes. <laughs> likely hiring a couple of people, which would be fantastic. So that's, that's awesome. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed for you for your grant. That's really yes. great. And thank you so much for sharing it. I mean, this is like invaluable information. I know after your last episode, I had like multiple people reach out to me and be like, this is something I've been thinking about for a long time. Oh, and like, this is so exciting yeah. that there are people really doing it. And so I have a friend who did a similar program in Maryland, not at the yeah. state level, but more for adults, but she, hers is up and running now. And she really, that episode was kind of the Ooh. catalyst for her to really take the plunge. So I really, really appreciate you joining me and all the work you're doing down there in Georgia. And we'd love to have you back in the future if you've ever got something new to share, because it sounds like the services are changing all the time. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, anyone feel free to reach out. Awesome. Thanks, Melanie. All right. Bye-bye. And that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening, subscribing, and rating. This podcast is part of an audio course offered for continuing education through Speech Therapy PD. Check out the website if you'd like to learn more about the CEU opportunities available for this episode, as well as archived episodes. Just head to speechtherapypd.com slash ear. That's speechtherapypd.com slash E-A-R.